This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Hey everybody, welcome to the Wednesday night service. We've got a great service planned for you, so go ahead and get ready to worship together. Tag somebody in the comments there so they can join us, and that's a good way to invite them. But stick around, it's going to be an awesome night. Welcome to church, everyone. Let's sing a few songs together.
We're going to go ahead and get into the word tonight. We are on part three of our end times 2020 series, taking a look at a lot of things that are going on in the world right now. Let's go ahead and pray. We're going to jump right in. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you, Lord, so much for the opportunity to study your word together. Lord, whether it be online, in person, whatever, that doesn't matter. Your word is alive and powerful and it's sharper than any two edged sword. So I pray tonight that your word will have free course. You'll speak to us. Show us what we need to see, Lord. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. So we've taken took it the last couple of weeks here to uh, kind of look at some signs of the times, as some people would say, look at some current things that are going on in our world. And, you know, I, I always like to point out that I'm not a conspiracy theory type of guy. And right now, especially we see all sorts of people talking about and even writing about really far out, far fetched ideas and things. And my main goal is for us to stay balanced and really stick to the word of God, things that that the word really does tell us and things that we can even actually show you with uh, um respectable sources. <laughs> and so uh, that that's one of the main goals we have. And over the last couple of weeks, especially last week, we did see some pretty intense things like the plague of locusts and, and all sorts of stuff. And this week, uh, we're going to actually be looking at uh, mainly some Bible prophecy from two different people. That's going to be Daniel in the Old Testament and the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Uh, the first couple of weeks, we've seen a lot of, directly from Jesus in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, and then those other parallel chapters. And uh, we've looked at some things from John in the book of Revelation and also Joel in the Old Testament. But this week we're going to look at a, a few things from Daniel and from Paul. And I want to say up front that some of these things that we're going to look at are so common in our modern time that I'll bet they have flown right over your head. They flew right over my head. And as we read some of these things, we're going to think that's no big deal. I mean, you know, we, we see that all the time. But that proves my point exactly, that the Bible was spot on when it told us how the world would be a couple thousand years in advance. And, and these things are so common, so everyday parts of our lives that we don't even realize it's the Bible being fulfilled right in front of us. So it's exciting. And as we study these things uh, tonight and over the next few weeks still, none of this is stuff to scare us. This is all it's exciting. If you've been a Christian, this is stuff we've been waiting for our entire lives and it's being fulfilled right in front of us right now. So this is meant to encourage us and open our eyes and, and for us to to really, as I've said, take our faith more seriously than ever. And just like Jesus warned, don't let the day approach. Don't let the day happen when we're asleep 
and he returns. So this is to wake us up and have us be ready. So we're going to look at, once again, probably six or seven things tonight, uh, prophecies, things that the Bible told us would happen. And I'm going to cram them in. So as I've been saying, if you're a note taker, do it really, really fast and, uh, and, and just write it down. And if you have to go back and look at it again, that's totally fine. But I'm moving fast because I'm covering a lot of ground in a short period of time. Right. So the first thing we're going to say tonight is this. One of the prophecies that's very much been fulfilled is technology. And we're like, well, technology, okay. And what I'm going to show you is in Daniel chapter 12. So let's flip over here to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. And um, most of the time I'm in the New King James or New Living Translation. Tonight I'm in a translation called the God's Word Translation. And I really like it. It, it pulls out the meaning here at the last couple of words. But Daniel 12 and verse 4 and Daniel was a very, very accurate and awesome prophet, and especially for a lot of this end time stuff. But Daniel 12, verse 4, it says, But you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the end times. Well, that's where we believe we are now, the end times. But look what he says next, this last sentence. Many will travel everywhere and knowledge will grow. And some translations say knowledge will increase. Now, that word knowledge, that that's there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. A lot of people think that just because someone's super smart, that they're they're wise, they're a person of wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. There's a lot of very intelligent people that are not wise people. You know, they may be able to figure out a mathematic equation or or be a brilliant scientist, but they don't know how to raise their kids. They don't know how to keep a marriage together. They don't know. There's a lot of things that require wisdom and wisdom is huge and it's key. But knowledge is something that Daniel told us it's going to increase. So my personal belief is that knowledge has increased in the end times and wisdom has probably decreased. But that's that's for a topic for another day. So it says knowledge will grow. Knowledge will increase. And it's undeniable that with our modern technology, with with the things that the human mind has been able to invent and figure out over the course of time, but especially over the course of these last 10, 20 years, it is incredible to think of what we have, you know, and I think one of the most uh, wonderful examples is just simply the invention of the the modern smartphone and take it even back a step before that you know the telephone's only about 140 years old now that may sound like a really old thing to a lot of us but like i've said before in the grand scheme of things, 100 years, 150 years is not long at all because God's time is different than our time. And so this the phone is an example of something that's 140, 150, whatever years old. But just think of even in our lifetime, the advances that we've seen in that, you know, before this invention, it was a big deal to get a message to somebody 10 miles away. That took some effort. That took some arranging things and and taking your whole day or whatever the case was to get it delivered. But now, man, we can pull our phone right out and 
be in contact with somebody 10,000 miles away and have instant communication. And again, you're like, well, that's not that big of a deal. That's a huge deal that you could reach somebody from right where you're at 10,000 miles away and have instant communication and contact. That is knowledge. That is technology at work. And we're so used to it. We don't even think anything about it. But that's how a lot of these things are that we're talking about tonight. You know, our, our, our phones now. I mean, come on, we can do our banking, we can sign mortgage documents, we can take pictures, we can take our heart rate, we can figure things out, we can basically find any answer, do any research that we need to do. Gone are the days of going to the library to do a research paper, going to the library to have to study and find things out and have to research. I mean, we can do it all right from with something, a little a little device in our pockets. And, you know, I've, I've heard somebody say that our teachers in school always told us, you better learn this math. You're not going to have a calculator with you everywhere you go, are you? Well, we kind of showed them, but kids don't listen to that. So anyway, it, it's incredible, though, that especially in a time like the quarantine that we're all under right now, we can harness this technology for good. And that's a great thing. And uh, of course, we know a lot of it can be used for bad, but we can also harness it for good because we need to remember that anything that's powerful can be used for either good or bad. You know, we could use fire to do really good things. We can use it to do really bad things. We can use electricity to light up an entire city and give people heat, or we can use it for destructive things. Technology is the same way. It can be either good or bad. Right now, we're using it for a whole lot of good stuff, but it, it's definitely... Uh, undeniable that even in my lifetime, the advances that have taken place are astronomical. It's huge how much that I've seen the world advance even in my lifetime. And I know a lot of you guys have, too. So David said, excuse me, Daniel said knowledge will increase. It's no stretch at all to say that that would include technology. That's not even that's not a stretch at all. But another thing he said here, number two, is travel, travel. And uh, that's right here, Daniel 12, 4. But Daniel, but you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the end times. Many will travel everywhere. And again, we're reading that and we're thinking, that's not that exciting. That's not that spectacular. Well, that's a big, big deal. And we're so used to it that we don't even think anything about it. Think of that for most of world history people either had to travel by foot maybe by boat or maybe on an animal somewhere but in our lifetime that's i mean that's that's extinct that's not even we don't even think about that anymore you know train travel came about in around 1825 and the first trains carried people at a mind-blowing eight miles per hour I mean, most of us can walk that fast, but still it was a big breakthrough to be able to, to travel for a consistent uh, speed of eight miles per hour for extended periods of time. And I read that by the time trains could go 30 miles per hour, they were concerned that the human body couldn't withstand such a speed. And now it's no big deal, especially here in Southern California, to get on the freeway. And Pastor Dave's a good guy, so I'm not ratting myself out here, but some people go a whole lot faster than 30 miles an hour, a whole lot faster than 70 or 80 miles an hour. And don't even think about it because it's just our everyday life. And 
you know, for, for us, many periods of world history, uh, most people didn't travel 20 or 30 miles in their entire lifetime from the spot that they were born in. And now we drive, we drive that to go get a, a taco that we want or go get a milkshake that we're craving. But again, Daniel said, people will travel everywhere. Now think about if we had told Daniel these thousands of years ago, Daniel, not only will people travel everywhere, we'll have people that can travel outside of this planet. And people can literally walk on the moon. I think Daniel was spot on when he said, people will travel everywhere. Knowledge, technology will increase. And as I've said before, I can only imagine Daniel seeing these things, getting this vision from God, and he's trying to write down what he's seeing, but... What do you compare it to? I mean, what would he compare an airplane to? He's never seen anything like that. All he sees is people traveling everywhere, all over the place. And to us, we're so used to it that it flies right past us and we don't see anything significant about it. But Daniel was spot on when he said the knowledge is going to be incredible and people will travel everywhere. Well, that has happened in our generation and in our lifetime, and it's definitely something that God said right here would happen in the end times. Literally says that right there. So that's a few things Daniel said, and to study some of the things Daniel said is a much deeper topic than we have time to dig out tonight. So I'm going to move on to the Apostle Paul, and I want to read Second Timothy 3. Uh, verses 1 through 4, the entire chapter is great. Second Timothy is a great book, the last, the last letter that Paul wrote before his execution. So it's very meaningful, very heartfelt, very deep. But he was giving Timothy some warning. And I mean, when I read these few verses here, I, I, I think, man, you could not have a better description of the era that we live in. He described it to the T. And this was a couple thousand years before this ever, you know, before we were even here. So 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 4, he says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the what? In the last days. There's that phrase again. We keep seeing it everywhere. In the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. And in a minute, I'm going to go back and, and kind of uh, break down a lot of these things. But let's keep moving here. Verse three, it says they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel. They will hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And as I read those verses there, as I read those words, that list of things that Paul said, this is what people are going to be like in the last days. That sounds exactly like our world right now. I mean, people that are ungrateful, nothing is sacred, uh, unloving, unforgiving, slandering, no self-control. 
I mean, if there's one thing we have a lack of right now, it's not information and knowledge. There's a lack of self-control. There's people that, that they can't control their impulses whatsoever. And it's a sad and sick thing to see. But Paul said, that's how it's going to be. No self-control. And uh, what we're going to do here is break down. We're just picking out a few things out of these verses Though we could take every single thing he listed and do an entire message on it. But we're going to just, for the sake of time, break down a few of the things that, that Paul pointed out here. The first thing is this, and this is point number three for the sermon, is greed. He said right there that uh, you should know this, that in the last days there will be difficult times where people will love only themselves and their money. Now, just like I've said with every prophecy, every sign that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, yes, this has always existed, but on a grander, larger scale than ever before. And so we could say there's always been greedy people, but when we think about the magnitude and the level that there is now, it's insane. I remember in, in the great recession, the financial crisis of 2008, 2009 and all this stuff going on. Uh, there was a lot of you remember the guy named Bertie Madoff. This guy stole $65 billion from people. $65 billion that people trusted to him to invest. This guy stole that amount of money. There has never been a bigger thief in the history of the world than Bernie Madoff. And this was just with, you know, 10 years ago, a little bit more than that, maybe, but $65 billion. So yes, there's always been greed, but now the level and the capability to use that evil greed is on a, on an explosive, explosive stage. And uh, there's many other cases like that. I mean, think about all the things we have to do now just to protect our identity. Have I, you know, fraud protection, identity protection, because the capability of greed and, and the resources and the damage that people can do with it now is at a level that we've never seen in the history of the world before. And I always like to note this, too, that we say greed and, and a lot of people, their mind instantly goes to some rich guy. Well, he's rich. He must be evil and greedy. And yeah, there's a lot of evil, greedy, rich people, but I know a lot of greedy, poor people. I know a lot of greedy people that they would do anything for money. They would, they would stomp all over you, stab you in the back and, and, and do anything to get money. And, and they aren't even rich. And so it's not only rich people that are greedy. There's people of every level, every circumstance, every, every, every aspect of life that can be greedy. And so Paul told us that there's going to be people that are greedy. They're going to love only themselves and their money. And we can definitely see that right now. I even read just yesterday how there's already people making phony IRS phone calls trying to get your bank information so you can direct deposit your stimulus check. I mean, that's already happening. And we're in the middle of a crisis. And we think, well, how could somebody do that? They love themselves and they love their money. And for some of us, that's hard to understand. Everybody likes money. I like money. I like being able to feed my kids. I like being able to do things with money. But I know some people that they don't like money. They love money. They would do anything. They don't care how embarrassing it makes them. They would do anything. They love 
money, even to the point of they would sacrifice their kids for it. Well, I would never do that. Man, you'd work 80 hours a week and not go to your kids' ball games just so you can get more of this stuff. That is twisted. But Paul said, oh, there's going to be people that love themselves and they love their money. Another thing here, because I'm, I'm moving along. Number four is scoffers. Scoffers. You're like, well, what's a scoffer? What does that mean? Well, right here, 2 Timothy 3, verse 2 says people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. And what does it mean to scoff? That means to mock somebody that's a scoffer is a mocker. And we can see that anywhere we look. You don't have to search high and low. You don't have to go hunting and digging and 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 looking everywhere to find a mocker and a scoffer. They're very easy to find. And Paul said, oh yeah, there's going to be people everywhere like that. They're scoffing, mocking, making fun of God. And if you live for God, if you if you are a bold Christian, You've experienced this because another thing that Paul told us later on in this same chapter is that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And if you're sitting there like, well, that's funny. I never suffered persecution. Well, I mean, you may want to examine your walk with God because Paul said everyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so, uh, I mean, if you if we don't ever get any uh Backlash. If we don't ever have any heat coming against us for our beliefs, as weird as it sounds, there's kind of something wrong with that. We should expect to rub somebody the wrong way. Not that we're trying to, not that I'm out there trying to make people mad, but just the fact that I have Jesus on the inside of me is going to rub some people the wrong way. And so Paul said that one of the signs of the end times would be people scoffing at God. Luke 17, 26. So I'm going to flip over there real quick. Luke 17 and verse 26. And keep in mind, this is a parallel chapter to Matthew 24. Uh, but, but Jesus said something right here that's definitely uh, worthwhile for us to see. Luke 17, 26, it says, when the son of man returns, Jesus talking of himself, he said, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Well, what was it like in Noah's day? Well, there's a lot of things that are similar to now and in Noah's day. But one of them is scoffers and mockers, people absolutely making fun of of the God followers and their beliefs and making fun of God himself. You know, it says these people were partying and living it up right until the day that the flood came. And we can look all around us now. People living it up, partying. We saw in the news a week or two ago that even with the coronavirus thing going on all these guys going to the beaches in florida to party it up and drink and have a good time and and, you know with no regard to their health or the health of those around them but who cares they're just partying it up and that's the type of stuff that was going on in noah's day but we also know that people were mocking him making fun of him he's telling them guys a flood is coming there's a flood coming listen to me and everyone they're like flood so you mean water is going to fall out of the sky and they're making fun of him because up until that point, the scripture tells us that God watered the earth from beneath the ground. He sent the dew and the water to come up from beneath to take care of watering everything. And then Noah says, I'm telling you guys, 
It's going to come out of the sky and it's going to flood the whole earth. They're making fun of them, man. They're being brutal against this guy. And as crazy as all that sound, we're here in 2020 telling people, guys, there's a flood coming. There's coming a day when Jesus is coming back. We're telling people about a rapture and they're making fun of us because they've never seen it. They've never seen anything like that. But Jesus said it's going to be like it was in Noah's day. People doing their thing, living their life, partying and, and, and mocking and scoffing right up until the day the flood came. But when that flood came, the door closed and sadly it was too late. And there's a day coming when it's going to happen. The door is going to close like it did in Noah's day. Then it's going to be too late. And that's not something that we want to talk about or, or something that we get pleasure out of. That's a sad thing. Something else that I'm just going to take note of, this isn't one of the points of the sermon, but Paul said that these people would consider nothing sacred. And I mean, that that is such a powerful statement, because I know that there's a lot of people in our society and our generation now that nothing is off limits to them. Some of the TV shows that some of you guys watch, some of the cartoons, some of the animated things that some of you guys watch nothing's off limits. They'll make fun of Jesus. They'll, they'll make fun of our faith, our beliefs and, and nothing, there's nothing sacred. I mean, I even remember when I was a kid growing up in Indiana, I, there was people that they may be, you know, uh, smokers and cussers and drinkers and, and perverts. But when they came around the church, they would kind of at least try to hold back a little bit, but I mean, nowadays I see people walk right up into the church and, and, and use curse words and, and say things. And, and it's, it's awful. I'm not talking about high desert word center members, but I'm just people that may come by or whatever. And, and how can they do something like that? Well, nothing's sacred. There's nothing off limits anymore to most of the world. And that's how Paul said it would be. The fifth thing I'm saying is this unthankfulness, ungratefulness. Once again, Second Timothy three, Paul said these people are scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful, ungrateful. We need to always be grateful for what we have. We know that much, but we can really see that now. I mean, four weeks ago, if you told me that a, a bag of flour and a roll of toilet paper was going to be something to really be thankful for. I probably would have laughed at you and, you know, told you to take a hike. But now I'm like, man, I'm grateful for a bag of flour and some sugar and some fruity pebbles. Thank you, Nick, for bringing those, by the way. And, uh, you know, and some toilet paper. I mean, come on. That's that that's something to be thankful for right now. But isn't it amazing how ungrateful we've been as a society for so long where we never thought anything about all the great stuff we have. We never thought about all the food and the and the nice things that we have until a lot of it's gone. It's like that old classic rock song. You don't know what you got till it's gone. Well, that's how it is right now. And that's how we need to realize, man, we've got to be grateful. I'm going to quickly read out of Luke 17, the story of Jesus and the 10 lepers. And uh, this is Luke 17, 12 through 18. Notice. This is right before Jesus goes in to his end times prophecy on the Mount of Olives. This is right before that. Luke 17, verses 12 through 18, it says, As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, 
they were cleansed of their leprosy. I mean, what a big testimony that is. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, wait a minute, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. It has made you whole. Now, that's a whole deep sermon. I'm not going to get into it for the sake of time. But look at this. Can you imagine Jesus healing you of a fatal disease and you just walk off and don't even say thank you? And as crazy as that sounds, I know people right now in my life, in my day and age, he has healed them of a fatal disease. He has saved their marriage. He has done all sorts of things, brought them up out of the ditch and saved their life. They barely even say hi to him now. They barely even give him away, barely even come to his house, to church. Nothing, barely even a thank you. And that's a sad thing to look at. But Paul said, man, these people, they're going to be ungrateful. And so one of the reasons ungratefulness is so dangerous, because, again, we think, well, that's bad, but it's not really an end time sign. Well, for one, Paul said it was, but ungratefulness is such a dire end times warning because it leads to something even worse called unfaithfulness. There's not a single faithful person I know that I can look at their life and say, oh, yeah, they're, they may be faithful, but they're ungrateful. No, all the faithful, holy people I know, they're very grateful. They're very conscious of what Jesus has done for them. And when you start to just take the things of God lightly, and I know God did that, but come on, that was five years ago. When we get that attitude, we become unfaithful. And Jesus himself told us in Matthew 24, Luke 17, Mark 13, that there's going to come a time when there's going to be a falling away. Those that, that were once hot for God, now they don't even care anymore. And it's happening, and that's a sad thing, and I'm not going to be like that. And the last thing I'll tackle really, really quick for the sake of time is this thing called slander. Slander. And Paul talked about this in chapter 3, verse 4 of 2 Timothy. It says they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. Why am I pointing this out? Because in our generation, we have a lot of people that slander. And why do we do that? Because back in the day, if you wanted to slander somebody, you had to go do it to their face. You had to go do it while they were around. And nowadays, we can slander you from 10,000 miles away and never even know you. Never even have met you in our lives, but part of the modern knowledge and technology is that we've got a generation of people that will slander you, rip you to pieces, and they don't even know you, or they may know you, but they don't have the guts to come and talk to you face to face and 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 have a conversation. And Paul said, Oh no, no, there's gonna be people that that they are slanderers, they will slander you and and shred your character to pieces. And we have never had such a, a capability to do that as we have right now. And so if, if that's talking to you, if you're somebody that slanders people online, that's a warning for you. You don't want to be a part of this group. And I guess since I did that quickly, one more thing, point number seven, it says there will be people that are cruel and hate what is good. People that are cruel and hate what is good. And the reason that I bring this up very quickly is because 
As we discussed a few weeks ago, it's one thing to disagree. It's one thing to say, well, I know the Bible says that. I don't really like that. But we've got a whole generation of people that if they don't like what you said, if they don't agree with you, it's not that they dislike what is good. It's not that they disagree with the Bible. Paul said, no, they will hate what is good. And we have right now an entire society and generation that hate what is good. The Bible may say, no, this is a good thing right here. And they say, no, I hate that. That's not good. That's bad. And in fact, Isaiah, the prophet said it this way in Isaiah chapter five. He said, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. Things are so twisted in our day and age that there may be something that the Bible says is good and people hate it. They despise the very mention of it. And in fact, they'll say, wait a minute, not only is that not good, that is bad. That is evil. And that's how twisted things are. And so as we kind of close it down here and bring it in for a landing, these things we mentioned tonight, these are not spectacular, mind blowing things like some of the other signs we could look at. But my point in bringing out these very basic things is these have happened right before our eyes. And they're so common that we don't even realize how profound and biblical they are. So Jesus was right. Daniel was right. Paul was right. And all these things we looked at, they nailed it on the head. And they're exactly what's happening right now. And as we close out, I want to invite you that if if you're watching this and you're like, all this sounds incredible or all this sounds scary, all this sounds good, whatever it is you're thinking right now, the biggest thing is Jesus will be coming soon. We know that much. We have to be ready in our hearts with him. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you pray this and maybe it's the first time or maybe you're somebody that kind of walked away from the Lord, but you're coming back, reach out, talk to us and let us know so we can hook you up and, and, and pray for you and help you get on your path. But let's pray this together. Say this. Dear God, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe he died. That he rose again. Jesus, forgive me for anything wrong I've done. Cleanse me. Make me new. I promise to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, reach out to us. We want to hear from you. We love you guys. We'll see you soon. Hey, everyone. We're going to get ready to take up our Wednesday evening tithes and offerings and uh, as always, the information on how you can give is right there on the screen. Easiest way is just to go to uh, hdwc.org slash giving. And we just want to thank you all that you've continued to be faithful with your tithes and offerings. As, as many people and many churches are experiencing a lot of difficulty, you guys have just continued to be faithful. And I know that the Lord is, is going to continue to bless you for that. Um, as I was thinking about what to speak about for just a minute or two here tonight, uh, I was thinking on the uh, pastor's been having us read through the book of Matthew this month. And just a couple of days ago, uh, I was reading through Matthew chapter six, which is a real familiar passage. But I got to thinking of how timely it is for uh, the season we're going through right now. There are uh, people out there everywhere, left and right, worrying about food and, and, every, and you know, toilet paper, all this stuff. Some of us, you know, make fun of them. And, and, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a legitimate concern for a lot of people. But the Bible tells us 
that as Christians, we're not supposed to worry about these types of things. Uh, right here it says in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse uh, 31, it says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So as Christians, it tells us we're not supposed to be worrying about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, all of this stuff. If that's for the unbelievers to worry about. What the Bible tells us to do instead, it says in verse 33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So we're not going to worry about these things. Instead, we're going to do like we've been doing all along. We're going to continue to, to seek the kingdom of God above all else. We're going to continue to live righteously. And then God will give us everything we need. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I saw one of our tr- very own church members the other day. You know, we've heard a lot of people talk about how they can't find flour because all of a sudden, I guess we got too much time on our hands. So we're all becoming into to amateur bakers or something. So every store in town is sold out of flour. And uh, this lady in the congregation I saw, she posted on Facebook that she was wanting to buy some flour. And everywhere she went, they were all sold out of flour. And she kind of felt the, the Holy Spirit impress her inside to just try this one particular store. And she went into this store and there was plenty of flour. There wasn't lines or anything. She was able to get what she needed. And uh, I know for a fact that this woman, she seeks God above all else. She lives righteously and God takes care of her. God took care of that, getting that flour for her so that she could go home and and bake and eat and take care of her family. So that's what we're going to do. Seek God first, live righteously, and he'll give us all we need. On that note, let's go ahead and say our financial faith confession together. Uh, Say it with me uh, from your homes. It says, as we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, Benefits, sales and commissions, growth in business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs so that I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously into the kingdom of God, and promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, everybody, that's a wrap. We're going to go ahead and close out the Wednesday night service. I remind you, like I always do, like us on Facebook, follow on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube. And if these messages are a blessing, share them with somebody else. All right. But let's close out like we always do and speak some words of faith over Barstow. Say this together. We declare that Barstow is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. Barstow is strong. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Make sure you tune in Sunday for the Easter service. It's going to be awesome. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.